It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists. GLG, celebrating 25 years of industry expertise and exceptional service. Find out more at glgcorp.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to another Monday night edition of the first serve for this 22nd of June. Uh, Brett Phillips is my name, and always alongside me covering the world of tennis is the man who still possesses, I think you'll hold on to it for a while, the fastest serve ever recorded in the game. He's the Newcomb medalist of 2015. Not sure he's like Bulldog Kevin Murray, uh, wearing it still around his neck. I've seen enough of Grothy to know that he's, he's probably got it in uh, hibernation somewhere. Great to see you, Sam. In fact, where do you keep the Newcomb medal? Well, mate, great to be here again. Again, obviously, we're getting closer to tennis. My Newcomb medal, it's about three metres that way from where I currently sit hanging on my wall. I, I don't pull it out and put it on my neck. It's nicely framed up there. <laughs> I do give it a little look at occasionally, okay. though. Okay. Nice, nice. Well, that, that room there, and uh, we saw you on the box on uh, Channel 9 yesterday on Sports Sunday. Um, there's a lot of memorabilia in that room. Some of your fine moments, your little uh, sanctuary uh, in your pad. Geez, a bit going on, Sam. We can finally... Wow say that the US Open is going ahead. We have a calendar of sorts that could change. Who knows? We still haven't got anything domestically, but we can shed a bit of light on that tonight. There's a looming appointment within Tennis Australia. We've been discussing a lot of the performance review the last two to three months. There's a lot bubbling around. Craig Morris is going to join us. I did catch up with him earlier today, and for mine, he should be back involved in Australian tennis. I know how highly regarded he is here in Australia. He was poached by the USTA about three years ago. He's based at the National Campus here in Orlando. He's the head of community tennis. He's part of that senior management team with uh, Mike Douse, the CEO, Stacey Allister, the CEO of Professional Tennis and Tournament Director of the US Open. So Craig will give us a real insight into how they got to that decision. So a really fascinating chat coming up. But just your thoughts on the decision finally arriving. Is that the way you probably saw it was going to go in the end, just uh, trying to read the tea leaves? Yeah, I think so. I think we all thought it was going to be a restricted event. We'd heard that there was no qualifying and doubles and mixed doubles was going to be cut. Obviously a big uproar this week over the wheelchair event. Probably more so the communication. Obviously the event not going ahead or not being included initially, but that's it. the communication with the players. And I, I said this yesterday on Sports Sunday on Channel 9 with the Wild World Sports yep. that that's been the problem from the get-go with this whole process with the US Open has been the communication with the players. And that was the breakdown. We saw the big up- uproar with Dylan Alcott and a lot of the other wheelchair players mm. with that. But you know, big news as well that may affect the US Open, obviously, in the last couple of days, and more coming through literally right as we went to air with with another player in, in yep. Borna Chorich testing positive now for COVID-19 after Grigor Dimitrov yesterday came out and announced that he'd tested positive. That whole Adria tour scenario where there was very little social distancing, 
on the back of the US Open saying they're going ahead with all these strict protocols and what's happened here with mm. the footy with McKenna and Essendon. It's hard to see that the US Open goes ahead and if one player comes down with it, how many people does that affect and what's the fallout if that happens during a US Open style event? Just It takes one player, I think, to undo the whole tournament. Craig Morris sensed that question. I'll get your response on the back of it a little bit later on in the show because we went through a few of those scenarios earlier today. I want to go with this. I think Novak Djokovic is probably the most intriguing person in trying to work out who he really is. And I say this with the greatest respect, Sam. He's the world number one. He might be the greatest of all time in winning majors he puts on this event as a co-founder with Dimitrov through Serbia through Croatia getting the creme de la creme at, towards the top of the uh, you know the tennis men's system to come along crowds up into the bleachers of the grandstands there's handshakes there's hugs there's player parties player parties sweaty towels being handed from the ball boys to the players uh, no sign of social distancing and now Clinics, two players media. two players get COVID-19 and then on the other hand you know he's been so against the US Open I think you know certainly there's been a change of tune in the last week and I think all the players eventually just want to get out and compete so in the next two and a half months I think a lot of the players minds will shift but I did commentary and I won't mention this person on here I did commentary with this person at the Australian Open who said to me off air this Novak John Djokovic that we see in public is fake, if I can borrow a Donald Trump word. Geez, you're going to fire up some Novak fans here. We know they're vocal, but he's interesting. I mean, he's completely different to what... I'm not going to disagree. I think he's completely different to what we see out of the tennis All the stuff with the celebrations, handing out chocolates to the media, all these other things to portray him. There's just a lot of people, not only that view that was told to me off air, but a lot of people who have said to me, there's just absolutely two sides. And there's, I mean, look, (laughs) there's two sides to all of us in life. We don't always reveal all our sides to everyone and we can only judge sometimes what we see and he's such a, a public figure but th- to me there's all these often these contradictions with just the way he goes about his life I mean we just we hear so much of him we read his quotes with uh, he's done a lot of media in the past uh, three or four months a lot of these long sort of podcasts where he's probably revealed a bit more Sam I, I just find him an intriguing figure he's gone ahead with this vent and said look we consulted the health authorities it was all clear for us to hold it now two players have got COVID-19 I mean it's just it's just a really fascinating case study I think to sort of watch from afar well it's incredible isn't it that you can host an event and I know that area in, in Europe is from Serbia Croatia the countries where they're holding the it's different to the United States and the new yep. and New York with how bad it is but I think the numbers were still about 22 million people live in that area of the world where these events were being held there's still been 2,000 plus deaths and it's not like it's low numbers you know it, mm. it's well over what we talk about here in Australia, and we're talking about a rise at the moment and everything, and then to contradict and say, well, these are fine with no social distancing, as we've seen, but I'm not going to go to New York. I feel like that's a little bit Novak. It's it's a little bit contradictory what he, what he gives us sometimes, and I think that's why sometimes people find it hard to buy into Novak Djokovic yeah. fully. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think he's just an intriguing person to watch. You know, he came in and he was the, the agitator. He was the one that was, you know, obviously from an on-court perspective going to upset the, uh, the the reign and the dominance and the popularity of uh, Nadal and, and Federer. And then there's this other person away from the court who's, you know, president of the player council and he's gone down this track of, um, you know, from the health and well-being side of things with all these different people he sort of had 
part of his in and out of his entourage over a period. Um, it's just an interesting one that we could probably talk for an hour about. But hey, domestically, we still have no definitive answer. What I can share tonight is that there's going to be three events across five cities. Now that we have a date for the players to depart, those who are going to go and tackle Washington. I think the women's tour has announced Palermo as their well, first event, which would be this the third is the other. This is the other crazy business that's going on. Before we touch on the domestic scene, just quickly, this whole business of having Cincinnati play before the US Open in New York, get the players in, yep. hub them, the same for the women, have everyone come in, all these strict protocols, and then all of a sudden now we go, that's there to limit travel, players won't be moving between cities, we're going to have two events in one spot. Now all of a sudden you go, well, the men are in Washington, D.C. Now, I know Mark Iron, who owns that tournament, the City Open. Yep. I've known him for a long, long time. And I'm not trying to put a dampener on his event. But all of a sudden, players now are going to be in Washington. What are their protocols going to be? How are they going to get to New York City? The women are going to have to play in Italy, which has been one of the worst affected countries through this whole process, somehow make their way across to the mm. United States and then go into quarantine there. There's supposed to be a 14-day quarantine period when you enter the United States yep. for most people. Now, whether that's being not enforced when the tennis players go in, but I don't see 14 days between Palermo and the Cincinnati now play or the Western Southern Open being played in New York on that women's calendar there for the players to have that quarantine period. It, it's... It's interesting, I tell you, and I think there's going to be a little bit of backlash from the players, especially now that we see some high-profile players starting to test positive. It's a moving beast uh, every day, and uh, we'll listen to Craig Morris uh, shortly. So domestically, what I know is that we're still waiting for some contracts to be signed. Obviously, all the borders situation, we know things are going to tighten up here in Victoria again. So, you know, I, I don't know the full detail, and obviously those who are in charge don't want to release all that full detail. So... I'm not going to say it's going to be this week. I'm not going to say it's going to be next week. Who knows when all the details will be released. But obviously there's been a few hurdles that we just don't know about. And, and you know, for those uh, trying to put it together, um, it's it's been a difficult situation. Now, we have been discussing the performance review, Sam. We've chatted to Brent Larkham, who's going to head up the National Academy. We've chatted to Wally Masua, Craig Tiley in depth there last week. I think we fully understand the performance review that has gone on. We're still hoping to have Paul Vassello, probably a couple of weeks away from hearing Paul, who's been named head of talent. We are hearing on the the grapevine that there is another appointment looming a little bit later on this week. Someone who has an extremely impressive coaching uh, resume, that to be revealed. So all the parts are sort of being put together as Australia and Tennis Australia try and get it right in terms of the pathway and producing as many good tennis players as we can. Yeah, we're still getting dribs and drabs, aren't we? I'd love to know. We have a pretty tight-knit tennis community here in Australia. I'd love to know if anybody out there is hearing about who might be coming into that fold. Obviously, we're getting little bits of information, but nothing concrete at this stage. I guess the one we're still chasing, we've been chasing for a long time, Brett, and keeps ducking and dodging us is Jane, you know, the president of Tennis Australia. That's the person Jane we Hurdler. want to speak yep. to, Jane yep. Herdlicker. I think she's the one we still need to get. She's the one that we haven't had the chance. We had Craig Tolley on last week. We had Tom Larner on. We've had Brent Larkham on. We just can't seem to get a hold of Jane. Getting more information, though, as, as things come through here, it looks like not only Borna Chorich has tested positive, it's Novak Djokovic's fitness training. Grigor Dimitrov's coach. And I guess the question's going to come as well as we move towards the US Open. The players looking for domestic playing opportunities here. I'd love to also hear from those Aussie players, not only about the performance review BP that we've been speaking about, but how do they feel about going off to New York? Obviously, things getting tighter and tighter again here in Melbourne where we live. But you know, do the players actually, now that 
we've gotten this far into it. Are they still looking for these playing opportunities here? Do they want to get over or or have the players now actually written off 2020 themselves? I mean, we've been talking about it for yeah. so long, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. Apologies, uh, Grothy. I, uh, we are doing this <laughs> remotely and we've been doing this for a number of weeks and I didn't put it, uh, my uh, phone on uh, Do Not Disturb. So a little phone call there right in the middle and that person has just apologised. Sorry, I realise you're on the radio. Anyway, <laughs> we are here. We're going to get a break away and come back and have a listen to Craig Morris. Olivia... Chandra Mulley is also going to join us because she's an Australian tennis player who's been elected to the ITF World Tennis Tour Player Panel. And this was something that David Haggerty had certainly mentioned for a number of months is to really consult the players more and find out about their struggles at that lower end of the tour. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. All our uh, podcasts are there, Aussies only, crunching the numbers, our latest edition in the huddle, plenty of great written news content. Marjorie, 77 years of age, who's been involved with some of the best tennis clubs, Centenary Park, Elstonwick, Kooyong, here in Melbourne. Uh, great story we wrote about her last week from a grassroots level. Have a read of that at thefirstserve.com.au. We'll be back with plenty more as we cover the world of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. GLGCorp.com. Welcome back to the first uh, Brett Phillips, Sam Groth on this uh, Monday night. Plenty happening in the tennis world. We have a US Open. We have a calendar release for the men and the women. Grothy, for those just tuning in, they might have jumped in the car who followed their sport, who followed their tennis clearly. Uh, know of Grigor Dimitrov testing positive to COVID-19 over the weekend. Uh, Borna Chorich, you mentioned him off the top of the show, who was playing in that Adria Tour. But for those that weren't listening, just confirm some of the other names that it's been sort of seeping through in the last 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, so Dimitrov and Chorich, obviously they both played, well, they played each other on Saturday. Dimitrov then withdrew, feeling ill. Uh, On top of that, it's Novak Djokovic's fitness trainer. So he's come down with it. So you've got to imagine that he spent plenty of time with Novak throughout the course of that event as well. And it's mm. Grigor Dimitrov's coach. So yep. they're the ones so far that we know of. Obviously, some other big names were a part of that event, though, weren't they? Zverev and Team. And, yep. Yeah, well, it's... Team, uh, I think, has come out as negative, hasn't he? That was revealed Yeah, which is obviously great to hear as well. Because so, he, yep. he'd gone across to that UTS event mm. that was playing. So that's the whole flow-on effect is who else did the players come in contact with? But, yeah, it's, it's I guess still remains to be seen the fallout. We'll continue to follow that. As I said at the top of the show, uh, I did uh, make a, a call to Craig Morris earlier today. He's the CEO of Community Tennis at the USTA, uh, looking after player development, the foundation, the national campus. He's based in Orlando, Florida, formerly of Tennis Australia, in a number of roles across quite a few years. Uh, Coach Sam Stozer at one stage was in charge of participation and in that um, women's sort of coaching space. But I caught up with him earlier today to talk about the decision of the USTA to go ahead with the US Open. The decision was made over a number of months, really, when the virus hit. You know, the team sort of, you know, went into lockdown, you know, for uh, both from the US Open and, and also from a community tennis side. And, you know, when it first sort of um, happened and then countries started to lock down around the world, you know, the thought of being able to bring players internationally from all these different countries into New York and at that point in time was the epicentre of obviously of the US just seemed an impossible sort of task. And I think even internally, there are a big part of us that 
were like, you know, this is, you know, this is just not going to get off the ground at all. The team sort of stayed committed. You know, Stacey Allister and Lou Shearer and, and, the, and the team, obviously with Mike Dowse, new CEO, you know, they sort of dug into the weeds, Brett, and looked at all scenarios. We heard things like go to Indian Wells in November and down to Miami and maybe Orlando. And, and I will tell you, all, all things were on the table, but the team sort of dug in and, and looked at certainly all aspects of, of what could or couldn't happen. And as they started to look at the details, and, and I think also as a country, we had a better idea of where the virus was at and, and certainly some of the modelling and what the signs of New York was going to be. And, and almost every week we'd have a senior management call and there was a little bit more light. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know, maybe this could happen. To a point then in the last month, you know, obviously conversations with the, the tours, the ATP and the WTA, obviously Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, was a big piece of it, it was probably the last tick that we needed to get you know the team did the work and and looking at Cincinnati event as well and the compensation we could put forward it got to a point where it was like we can actually do this um, we can we can create environments for the players to keep them safe the board were incredibly supportive and you know it, it got to a point where you know everywhere we looked in the last sort of couple of weeks there were green ticks yep we can we can tick this off and based on the medical advice of keeping the players and, and the staff healthy we really did feel too Brett it was the best interest of tennis you you, know, you would have heard Mike Dowse talk about three guiding principles of making the decision. And I will tell you, you know, they were forefront for all the staff, you know, in, in what we're doing across the country for the sport. Can we keep people safe? Is it in the best interest of tennis and is it financially viable? And, uh, you know, by the time we got to the last week, you know, those, those were all ticked. We know that things are still going to, you know, change, obviously, that, you know, the, the situations that are occurring back home with AFL, PGA golf over here, a player was... Uh, you know, was found positive with COVID. So yeah. we're conscious that things can move. But at this point in time, you know, everything got the tick, the tours, and clearly players, you know, have some mixed emotions about it. And that's their call, certainly if they want to come or not come. But right now it's all systems go and, and the team will hit the ground running. Yeah, it seems convincing the player group has probably been the biggest challenge. And there's, you know, yeah. players who are just outright blatant that it can't happen. I'm not going yeah. to come now. We know that we've still got a good two or three months before the US yeah. opens on. So the players at least have a chance to take a breath and then make their own decisions as yeah. uh, time gets a little bit closer. And we've been discussing it on our show. I know you're listening from the US yep. a lot about the ecosystem of tennis and all the stakeholders and trying to get all those stakeholders aligned in tennis, which yep. seems to be probably the biggest challenge of such a big global sport. You've obviously got your, your top three men you know, have strong opinions. Obviously, Federer's out for the season. But Nadal and Djokovic, Serena is, is obviously a major player here in the US and global. Yep. She transcends the sport as we all know and then obviously the tours the Grand Slams I know Craig Tiley and, and Jane have been on calls with you know the Grand Slam board on just the opportunities around this as well obviously the French Open's also going ahead of, you know a month later so you're right and I think overall the, the feeling that I've been getting Brett is everyone has been supportive if this can happen then let's try and make it happen you know and I, and I will say from a US point of view this best interest it was a real shot in the arm not just for the you know for us as an organisation but just the grassroots of the game you know the amount of you know I deal with that obviously grassroots tennis here in the US but the yeah. amount of positive emails that that gave to tennis pros and to tennis facilities and local sort of industry leaders that the US Opens found a way to you know to get the green light it, it was overwhelming that we we're able to do this and this is great for tennis there's so many different stakeholders and you know where there was a wheelchair conversation on Friday morning you know that obviously Dylan was vocal with regards to that so there was a great call on Friday morning now and the team's going back to work on, on what that could look like. You are trying to listen and absorb
all you know different opinions but at the end of the day you've got to make a decision then you've got to be able to move forward and, and as I said those principles were met so we move forward on face value you can sort of understand Dylan's initial reaction yeah. then people sort of jump on board that because they know how vocal he has been about his sport and athletes with a with a disability and really he's been at the forefront of, of leading their cause can you give us a feel inside the USTA because we know that obviously in the planning it was going to be an event that wasn't going to be at its full capacity originally you know no yes. wheelchair tennis no mixed doubles no junior events obviously trying to limit the amount of people on site and originally it was going to be one person to accompany each player which now obviously is going to extend to three we're hearing you know certainly appease the players so so many moving parts and try to make it all work but just yes. I suppose a reaction on, on the wheelchair side because it's obviously got a lot of publicity back here I think Brett you know we obviously followed the, the response to the players and in all these situations I will say and, and you guys talked to a number of different stakeholders on your show which I love you know everyone's got a different opinion on this too by the way do you know what I mean Dylan had a really strong opinion that the wheelchair event should have gone on there are other players that I'm hearing are not so positive about it do you know what I mean so it's a situation that you don't get alignment with this one there's no sort of black and white decision on this so but what I will say is that which I'm you know we're most proud of you know the feedback was taken yes the decision was made at the time now obviously based on that feedback they had a call they've listened to the players certainly have said that we could have done a better job in the process around the wheelchair event and now they're going to work to see what they can do and go back forth now the, the players my understanding Brett they want to be heard they were heard there was a level of yep we take your point now let's go back to work and we'll come back with you on and in all this, I think, as you know, as federations, Grand Slam countries, and you know, in tennis, you know, obviously, you know, there isn't a clear answer on this one. So as long as people feel like they can be listened to, there's some common sense and principles that are that are here to, and I think there's a lot of credibility for actually listening and, and being able to say, you know what, we might have got this one wrong. We're going to change. You know, we're going to we're going to pivot and look what else we can do in this situation. And I think as organisations, that's okay. And actually, I, I think it's a really positive thing. Uh, Craig Morris is with us. Uh, he's the CEO of Community Tennis, uh, looking after the player development area, uh, the foundation, national campus. Obviously, different parts of America, and we, you know, we obviously back here, uh, you know, right across what's happening in the US. New York certainly seems to have shifted quite a bit. Can you just give us the current yeah. status of, of COVID nineteen in New York and sort of where it sits in terms of the whole country? Yeah, so I'm based in Orlando, Brett, and uh, and Florida, unfortunately, is becoming one of the hotspots. So it's sort of the, it's sort of spiking again down here, which is unfortunate. Different governors handle things very differently. New York's actually, I think. Either that right now the safest or the second safest uh, city in the country. So you go back six weeks and to your point earlier, things are changing so dramatically. So for us, you know, the country is so varied and it's almost like Europe, you know, it's almost like there's 17 countries in one here. Mm. So I know from a community tennis point of view, you know, we've really had a focus around local first and making sure that local authorities have that decision about when things come on play based on sort of uh, safe guidelines to get back on the court. Uh, so, you know, we really are trying to track where the virus is sort of spiking around the country there are three or four sort of hot spots right now but we're really thrilled that new york is you know is, is one of the safest cities and that's one that you know with regards to the open we have to track carefully because there is a situation that if it spikes again the event could get cancelled and that's something that the organization is more than prepared to make that decision if something like that happens so craig in the case you follow your footy back home yeah we obviously learned of the Conor McKenna situation uh, yesterday, which meant Essendon's going to be postponed, and now they could be missing a, quite a big chunk of their players who are in contact with Conor for next weekend's game 
against Carlton. In terms of if someone does test positive at the Open, we've seen Grigor Dimitrov test positive on the yep. weekend playing the Adria Tour. There's been a lot of commentary around that, how everyone was in such close proximity. But in terms yep. of the US Open itself, what will be the protocol in place there if someone does test positive in terms of how it'll affect the tournament overall? I don't know the details, Brett, as, as much obviously as the tournament staff who are working through that. I will tell you, Dr. Brian Hayline, Brian Hayline is on our national board. He's the chief medical officer for the NCAAs yep. and he's also on the ITF's Sports Science and Medicine Committee. He's really sort of chairing it. He was part of the press conference last week around that. Obviously, players will be tested when they come in. When they first sort of go into uh, to the official hotels, they'll be, they'll be tested. During that time, they'll be... Certainly, there's protocol about keeping physical distancing, you know, between the players and certainly the staff. So, all those protocols are in play. And my understanding, obviously, if somebody does test, they've got a whole sort of infrastructure in place to either obviously quarantine them if that's the situation mm. or be able to adapt but my expectation is probably similar to the AFL do you know what I mean if if there is a couple of players that test positive then you know it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole tournament will get cancelled at that time they'll have protocols in, in treating and giving the right medical uh, support for the for that player or that those people that even may be part of support staff one, one thing that I did you know want to say to the listeners you know which, which one of the things that came out of the press conference is There is an expectation at this time, Brett, that everyone has a responsibility. Do you know what I mean? If you come into the event, you know, you have a responsibility, whether you're players themselves or support staff. You know, I think that will be certainly continued to, you know, be told to the players and the people that have come in around the world that you have a responsibility to the tournament and to your other players and to the people who are working to keep everyone safe. You know, I think that's something that, you know, should be at the forefront of everyone's mind. It's been interesting to listen to a whole cross-section of the players. This is what we like to do in our show. We, we talk about yeah. the top echelon. We talk about those who are, you know, probably a break even in the sport. We talk about those, Craig, who are, you know, struggling to to make yeah. a dollar, who are lower down the picking order, who is, they're so desperate to get back and play and, yeah. and have some earning capacity again. So it's fascinating to look at all the cross-section of uh, opinions. Tennis has to start back somewhere and people getting their head around the fact that, okay, for quite a period, it's not going to be the way it was. And certainly at the top end, we know that players, live a fairly glamorous lifestyle in tennis in the sense of having everything at their disposal from their entourage to everything at at a tournament you know in terms of drivers and everything they need it's not going to be like that for a little while and and you've got to make that adjustment with it I've been a little bit surprised about just some of the backlash in general about the thought of the players that the tournaments aren't caring enough about them the USTA Tennis Australia whoever it might be as much as the economics are a factor and you can understand that from a business point of view that yeah. you know certainly they know the players are the show and that they they have to care about their their welfare and they wouldn't put an event on like this if they thought it was going to be a major hindrance to them correct number one number one principle was keep them safe you know everyone at the tournament both players and staff have to be kept you know safe and, and healthy and you're right they're the stars and the stars are the people that also put on the event the tennis australia have got an unbelievable team that run the australian open and, and so do the usda so you know we have to keep people safe first and foremost and you're right the sport has to start you know the, the thing that i will i will say is the impact of the grand slams and these major tournaments to the industry to your to your local tennis player do you know what i mean is as significant as the 60 million dollar compensation that's going to go through to the players it's a whole ecosystem you know and we talk about the tours the atp and the wta but these events impact the sport globally and and certainly in the countries that these grand slams happen and uh, they're really important for it and 
from a financial point of view, the event's still going to be down 70, 80% of revenue on base what it was. But when I saw some of the images at the press conference too, Brett, um, I'm sure some of the players who have seen those have gone, we've got the whole site to ourselves. So where they're normally having hospitality for sponsors and these incredible places to eat, now the players may actually be able to go to different parts of the site without having fans around them and actually relax. You know, the USA is going to put a soccer pitch in and a basketball play, you know, and these players may actually look at that and go, this could actually be kind of cool. We have the whole site and the running of the site to ourselves and we'll be able to spread out. And there's a lot more space and we won't be confined to, you know, a player area. Each of these super suites, you know, at the US Open may be assigned to a top-seeded player to have their own space. So it's going to be, I think, you know, what they've got planned and some of the things that could be really cool. And I think the players that do choose to come and they all have a choice, I think they'll have a fantastic experience. And I think to your point, that'll be first and foremost. We want them to have a great time and, and to be able to start to get the tennis industry moving again. And, uh, and you know what, it'll be very symbolic, you know, if it does go ahead in, in New York with the, the pain that city's gone through and similar to what a great job TA did with the firefighters, you know, I expect that we will be honouring the first responders, you know, the nurses and the doctors uh, in New York. And I think it's a significant moment too that's not lost on us as an organisation that what the sport can do for the city. You know, there's multiple variables here. I hope that the fans back home are excited as we are. So that is Craig Morris, the CEO of Community Tennis over at the USTA. He's part of the senior management team. Uh, as you can tell, he's uh, Australian. He was poached by the USTA. I think one day he'll be back here uh, in uh, in tennis circles at a high level. But just giving us uh, an inside view of how it came to the decision to run at the US Open. After the break, I'll get Sam Gross' response to that. Olivia Trandramulia also to join us, Australian player who's becoming part of this ITF World Tennis Tour player panel. All thanks to Top Agents Real Estate, servicing all of Melbourne. If you live here or looking to move to the beautiful city of Melbourne and you're looking to buy, rent, sell or have your property investment managed, make contact with David and his team, 95584599 or head to their website, top-agents.com.au. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com Welcome back to the First Serve here on SCN, covering the world of tennis on a Monday night. Brett Phillips and Sam Groth with you. Grothy, before we head on to our next guest, we've got a couple on the text coming through as well. 0433981116. You've had to listen to Craig Morris from the USTA just uh, and, a, and a reaction from you on that chat. Yeah, I mean, I think one day it'd be great to have Craig back here. He was very much a part of things when I first moved to Melbourne. He's a very switched-on operator. Yep. Um, you know, the US Open, they're trying to do everything they can. You know, I think they'll make mistakes along the way, as he said. They'll try to justify or rectify or... You know, be better with their communication with the players. Um, you know, I think in the end we don't really know how it's all going to play out. You know, it's it's a, a lot. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge for that event to, to, us to for us to get to that event, for us to get through that event. Um, you know, I, I think as much as anything, we'd all love to see tennis back. But I think as much as anything, the US, the USTA and the US Open, they're trying to just survive. I think through this period, and he's not going to come out and say that. But I sort of get the feeling that they. They need this event to go ahead as much as the players do, to be honest. Yeah, and we, I think the economics, we spoke about it with Craig Tyler, they're a factor. Uh, there's no doubt 
in all the decisions that are uh, certainly made. Just one on the text. Hi, Brett. Is there any possibility of the players getting together to remove Novak from the position on the player council uh, from uh, Julian? Well, uh, we've, we've seen, you know, a lot of agitation and sort of rotating players in and out of that ATP player council, haven't we? Yeah, and I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because here's a guy who's been so vocal against the US Open going ahead, well, initially... Yep. That if, is it secure enough? And then he's gone and... And like, look, the, the players that went there, they agreed to play in this event too. Let's not put it all on Novak. It was an event that he organised, but the other players did agree to go. But, you know, should the players have been put in a position that they were? And has Novak, by running this event, put the rest of the tennis tour in jeopardy? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating watch. We'll continue to dissect it. BP, how will the Australian tennis players be able to leave the country if international travel out of Australia is currently banned by the government? Do they fall under uh, an, another sort of category? I mean, you've been yeah. trying to get over to the US for the World Team Tennis. Grothy, um, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so there is a process with the, the Home Affairs Department. You can apply. I'm sure the players going to the US Open, they'll have Tennis Australia. Tennis Australia have government contacts. They'll be working with the government if the players want to go. That's going to be the first question, which players actually want to go to the US Open. Mm. Um, they'll work through all of those logistical problems. I'm sure if the players want to go, they'll have no problem getting out of Australia. You know, what's the protocols going to be when they come home, though? That's, that's the other question as well. All to play out. And the other news that we've learned in the last few days is that the International Tennis Federation, the ITF, has announced that a number of players have been elected to the ITF World Tennis Tour player panel. So election for the panels will provide a, a real forum for the players to actually provide their input and have their say on how the tour is actually run. So we know that you know, there's a lot of athletes who fall into uh, that category and there are certain criteria to select uh, the ATP players and the WTA players. And uh, from Australia, Olivia Trandramulia has been elected to the women's tennis panel, which will be chaired by Mary Pierce, the two-time Grand Slam winner. And, of course, Olivia has been as high as uh, 350 in the world. She currently sits at 444, and uh, Jakarta was her home initially, and then, of course, came to Australia and has resided in Rockhampton. That's been her home. Olivia, great to have you on the show tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell me, first of all, just before I let... Uh, Grothy, you have a, a chat. How were you elected? What was the process to be part of this uh, women's player panel? Um, well, first of all, we got emails saying that they were going to make a panel. So we had to be nominated first to be in, on the nomination list. So I had to get players to um, nominate me. And then after that, once the nomination list came out, then they had like this two-week period where all the IT eligible ITF players, they can vote for their chosen nomination. So um, once the election period ends, that's, and then they kind of just said who got the most votes and who got elected into the panel. That's pretty much how it happened. Olivia, what was it that made you want to be a part of, I guess, having a voice around this ITF circuit? We've seen a, a player council on the ATP and the WTA sides for a long, long time, but nothing in the ITF space. What was it that jumped out for you to be a part of this? Well, um, I've been playing the ITF circuit for quite a bit now and I've kind of seen and experienced it and I feel like I just wanted to make kind of contribution to tennis, not just on the court but off the court as well because he has given so much to me. So I just wanted to kind of make a change and contribution to the ITF so that the next generation of players who do come through and play these ITF pro circuits that they can have a better experience and just a better ITF tournament. Yeah, you mentioned that better experience. Obviously, 
when the whole coronavirus situation hit, the ITF or the lower-ranked players were a huge discussion about how they would survive through this period once we knew the tennis tour wasn't going to come back. What's the priority for this panel right now? Have you had some discussions with other players that have been put onto it? And what are your priorities with trying to make, you mentioned a better experience, but to make that uh, ITF tour better? Well... Yeah, I have been in discussions with the other panel members like daily, and our main concern right now is just to just ha- just to how to get the tour starting again safely, of course, like um, and also like fairly, like with the ranking system and all that. When everyone like if some countries do get to start earlier than others, how um, how it's fair for everyone with the ranking system. So that's kind of our major um, my, um, point at the moment, like what we're trying to push. With the ITF. Okay. Does the ITF have any say over that ranking, or has that come back to communicating with the ATP and the WTA tours as well? Um, yeah, it's also in conjunction with the WTA and ATP, so it's kind of like back and forth and stuff. And but we do, we haven't had our first meeting yet. It's going to be soon, maybe around next week. And they are trying to get some of the WTA panel members to be in the meeting, so it will um, we'll have a better communication. So um, yeah, we're just trying to get the ranking kind of system going and how it's going to be fair for everyone when it does start back up again. And Olivia, from the long term, obviously the short term, yes, to get the tennis tour started. I mean, from the outside looking in, it appears probably the obvious answer would be if you have a voice on a player panel like this, you'd be collectively trying to get maybe remunerated better in the sport. I mean, we're talking about a 1,000 athletes who compete on the ITF World Tennis Tour from you know, sort of 200, 300, all the way down to 1,000, 1,000 plus. So there's a lot of players who fall into that category who wouldn't be at even break even in the sport. I mean, can you give us a feel of where that priority lies long term? Yes, um, we um, long term wise, I do feel like um, I, I want to push for better distribution in prize money um, through the lower ranked players. So it's just not like, not just the top 100 players that get to earn money. So, um, uh, and also... Uh, the experiences in these tournaments, like some some tournaments, you might not get a better um, experience because like they have they don't really have good facilities or good physios or good staff members there, like communication ways. So like better experience at the tournaments as well. That's what my vision for the future is. Olivia, obviously you're going to sit on this panel now, and it's great that they've put this on board. But do you still feel like we need the ITF to uh to govern itself or do you think it should fall under the ATP and the WTA or a collective banner? We, we heard, or there was a lot of discussion again initially about a merger between the ATP and the WTA tours with three separate bodies running three individual tours. Do you think maybe it's time that the ITF came under those other banners or, or one banner as a whole for tennis? Oh yeah, I, I think that merging all into one is, the, the, is better because um, the communication, first of all, would be so much easier. You wouldn't have to discuss it with ITF, then get the WTA approval, then the ATP approval first to change something. Then it will just be easier for everyone. You don't have to be going back and forth with the communication. And, yeah, I think it will just be, in general, just easier and better communication-wise if you want to change something or, yeah. Olivia, can you just give us a feel? I don't know how candid you are prepared to be, but we'd, we'd love to try and... Yeah, paint a real picture of the whole sort of tennis ecosystem. I feel like I've said that phrase a lot over the last uh, three or four months. But you know, you're 23. You've been playing for a while. I remember watching you at the you know the playoff and qualies going back a few years ago. I mean, have you 
have you been able to make any sort of money out of the sport? What other income do you have that maybe supplements when you're not able to earn you know that great prize money uh, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated um at the moment um with my ranking no i haven't been able to make um make money um from the tour so i'm i'm actually very fortunate that i still have my parents that could kind of um help me out with the other costs that i couldn't cover with my prize money and all my other earnings so i'm very fortunate about that but yeah i feel like I do want to change so that people, not just the top 100 people can just, um, top 100 players can just earn a profit from this sport, like um, a little bit, it goes down the ladder a little bit more. Interesting, really interesting. Well, let, let's see. I mean, we'd love to maybe chat to you down the track. Let's see if the men's and the women's panel put together can have uh, some sort of impact, being given a voice for the, the first time, really, by the, uh, the ITF. Really appreciate some insights on the show tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Olivia Chandramulia, Australian player. She's 23, ranked 444 at the moment. So the ITF for those players uh, lower down the rankings have set up now a couple of player panels. Mark Woodford will chair the men's panel. Uh, it'll be Mary Pierce chairing the women's panel to give players a voice and we'll see what comes out of it. Grothy, we've got to get a break. I will come back and get a couple of thoughts from you as we close up on the first serve. All thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program which is out at beautiful Eaglemont since 2002. Beautiful leafy part of Melbourne. Discover more at yarratennis.com.au. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Celebrating 25 years providing landscape, horticultural and environmental services throughout Australia. GLG, your open space specialists. glgcorp.com. Well, I can tell you, Grothy, there's a new tennis card game to outgrind your family and friends. Rain, hail or shine, you can choose from a wide variety of match formats to play for fun or put something on the line and go to battle. Perfect for playing at home, at your tennis club, at tournaments or on the road. Shuffle a deck because it's time to dig. Thanks to our good friends at Latua Tennis, it's called La Rally. Get that amongst your card set at home. Plenty Seems of good time for that at the moment. Sounds uh, very, very good to me. So we've heard from Olivia Trandramulia. We've heard from... Craig Morris uh, tonight, we know we've got a US Open on its way and a calendar. Domestically, we're not probably prepared to sit here and forecast when something's going to be announced, but obviously it uh, hasn't been straightforward behind the scenes. But hopefully, now that we know when the players will leave, and that's going to be the fascinating part, isn't it, the next few weeks? Because we've heard from Barty, we've heard from Millman, we've heard from Kyrgios. There have been three that have... I suppose we've read the quotes for a few weeks now who have been really reluctant, but do you feel like a lot of players will sort of change their tune, Sam, as the weeks unfold? Yeah, I, I think so. I think players Just eventually... Are, yeah, they're going to want to play, and that's the thing. I think once once they get the opportunity to get out there, who knows? I mean, the way it's unfolding, we've got a tournament, but you know, we've still got so much happening at the moment, so we'll just wait and see. Absolutely. I know a man you know well, Greg Jones. Uh, go back and listen, everyone. Aussies Only, our podcast last week. Fantastic. Almost an hour with Greg Jones on and off the court. His career has gone into coaching. He's got a lot of views. He wants to really play a part to help those players uh, lower uh, down the rankings. Uh, starting from scratch, off a premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its uh, former glory. Uh, whether it's scratches in the sliding door or if the milk bar's been graffiti tagged with a knife, startingfromscratched.com.au is the website. Thank you, Grothy. Nice work. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. We'll again next Monday, still at 6 o'clock in this footy season. We'll talk the world of tennis. Have a great week, everyone. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? 
Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.